when the temple of Solomon was to be constructed, there were many technocrats that had to come from different lands in order to um, use their competencies to achieve the purpose of the building of the house of God. We had strange woodworkers. We had, we had people that could walk, that had expertise in the workmanship of bronze, of silver, and of gold. It was a compendium of technocrats uh, that was required to set up that, that temple. And right now, as we um, are on the campaign to disciple the nations we will need all kinds of skilled participants to be present amidst us so that we can maximize all of the possibilities that the grace of god has afforded us and so just in case you are listening online right now we want to really of as a matter of fact um, we would like to recommend that you become a partner with us and just in case you have decided that already and you have skill either in music production photography um, in cinematography lightning software development website development video editing script writing sound engineering and data analysis if you have any form of competence in any of these areas please indicate to our online pastor so that we can see how we can take advantage of your area of skill to better reposition the um, initiative of discipling the nations and if you are not in Nigeria and you are in another country and you are willing to um, begin a, an RCN prayer cell in your living room and willing to begin that, you also reach out to us. We are hoping that our generation will pray from uh, the depths of South Africa to the heights of not America, that prayer will become a culture that is part and parcel of our generation. So if you have a, an apartment that you are willing to make a prayer cell center in your location, you just get across to us. We will take you through the needed training that you need to be able to pioneer such uh, a platform of spiritual ventilation in your locality. God bless you in the name of Jesus. Now yesterday we were talking about the ministry of the deacon, the ministry of the waiter, the ministry helps ministry. We're talking about that but we did not finish I'd like to invoke two scriptures quickly so that we can see how important this aspect of ministry is. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, I want to read from verse 36 to verse 39. 
Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, from verse 36 to verse 39. And some days after Paul, some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we had preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Next verse now. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Yep. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the walk. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Barnabas took Mark. Paul felt that as a coach, a discipler, a trainer, someone that was dispatched on a mission, maybe because of the difficulty of the mission field, he decided to go a wool. And now they were making plans for another mission. And the one that was not faithful in the last mission was trying to accompany them. And Paul said it was not proper to take this guy. Let him wait until he makes up, makes up his mind on what he wants to do in the service of the law. And that became an object of great contention. And at the end of the day, Paul and Barnabas split. Uh, if you check your Bible critically, from this time that Barnabas splitted from Paul, the name of Barnabas also diminished from the Bible. So Barnabas went with Mark. The training that all the people that stayed back were receiving was an apostolic type of training. Uh, Timothy, who was ministering to Paul, he was Paul's minister. He ministered to him. He eventually became a bishop, became inherited an apostolic ministry. People like Titus, he became the bishop of Crete. And he was a young lad, but full of grace and wisdom. And he began to set in order the things that were lacking in the city of Crete and to ordain elders. That young lad. Because it was apostolic training they were receiving. And they eventually became apostles. You know, Jesus started with disciples. It was the disciples that eventually became the apostles. Right? So this young man was not willing to go through the rigor of the training and departed from the mission field without permission. And now they were going to another mission field and uh, Paul felt it was not right to take him along. Barnabas felt otherwise and there was sharp contention. Barnabas left with him. This was the effect of the living. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, let's check that quickly. Check that quickly. So it, if, if, if in the days where you were, you were serving as a waiter, if in the days where your, the scope of your engagement, the scope of your ministry was dependent on other people's ministry. I remember those days, I, 
I was a very effective usher. Amen. Till this moment, if you push me into the ushering department, you will know that I have experience in it. And those days, those were the days when, when we ushered, we were praying. And it's not just to create order. We were also responsible for conditioning the atmosphere. So I was an usher. And in the days when I was an usher, my, the seat my pastor normally use, uses it, um, in the congregation was his office seat that was upstairs. So we'll go up, bring some seats from up, down, and then we'll sweep the place, clean the place, make it ready, and then stand by the door. So we come earlier than most of the people that attend church. And we, that's what we did. All right? Now, see, this kind of ministry creates a platform for the five-fold ministry offices to function effectively. Now, give me the other scripture quickly. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick. Ah, is that the scripture I said? Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, is that it? 4 verse 11, sorry. 4 verse 11. Oh, let me use my own um, Bible so that I can be sure of what we are reading. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. He said, only Luke is... Okay, let's start from verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There was another person that was being trained to become an apostle. His name was Demas. But when they entered into a certain village, and the damsels in, those, in that village, they were attractive. Demas weighed the burden of the ministry vis-a-vis the possibilities he had with the damsels, and he chose the way of the damsels. And so Paul cried out. He said, for Demas, may you not be Demas. May you, in Jesus' name, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is parted unto and departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans, to Galatia, Titus, unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for ministry. Now, I, I said, if you have a, a lexicon, click on ministry. When you click on ministry, the word you will see there is diaconia. Diaconia. And diaconia is deacon. Are you with me? Now his colleagues inherited an apostolic ministry after the discipleship process. But he took off like a tornado. He left his mission field and followed a master that was encouraging him in his error. Many years later, when he was sought after, he was still brought to continue at the deacon level. So you might see that ministry and think, oh, okay, okay, that is, no, it's deacon. For him to continue from where he stopped, he had to come back to that same spot. He did not have the capacity of grace. I need to show you, Philip, 
If we use Philip as a point of contact, we say that in the first list of Dickens that was drawn up, the first name mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 6 was Philip. Do you realize that he was part of those people serving tables? And eventually, when the persecution became strong, Philip found himself in Samaria. In fact, Philip was the only man that was ever called an evangelist in the Bible. By the time he arrived in Samaria, he saw that there was darkness there and he began to try to reach out to the city. But he saw that he had so much capacity to capture the attention of the city. He didn't know the miracle ministry was in his life before that day. That occasion. Because he was, he was serving tables. That was what he knew how to do. But as he was serving tables, they were learning from the ways of the apostles. Learning from their lifestyle. Imbibing their lifestyle. And when occasion demanded, when he released what was inside of him, it was strong enough to take a city. Even the witch doctor that was in that city was no match to Philip, who was previously known to be a deacon. But now he had grown and become an officer. And the office of the evangelist was given to him. And he was a city shaker. That a city shaker. Meanwhile, in the whole story of um, the advancement of the kingdom that was pioneered by the apostles, this was the guy that first shook a city. Now, on the day of Pentecost, it was not the whole city that was shaken. It was a few people. But this was the account of the guy that first shook a city. He was an evangelist who was previously a deacon. So if you check this system, you will see that the first official, first official platform of service in church life, it is the official, it is the diaconia. That's the first official platform of service. And at this level, there is so much room. There's so much room at this level. What would determine if you climb higher in the ladder of specialized service is determined by your faithfulness at this level. So if I had drawn a, a permutation from the life of Philip, you would have seen the progression. You would have seen from um, Acts chapter 6 verse 5, you will see him ordained as a deacon. When we, by the time we move to Acts chapter 8, you will see him operating like an evangelist. He was not trained to be an evangelist. He was an, a functional deacon. And Jesus did not raise evangelists. Jesus did not raise teachers. Jesus did not raise pastors. Jesus did not raise prophets. Jesus only raised apostles. So there was no example of an evangelist that he saw. He was just serving tables. And as he was serving tables as a waiter, that grace called the evangelical grace, because he was admitted into an office, fell upon him. That grace itself has capacity to teach you how, what to do, how to be. We don't teach you. If you have the teaching grace, nobody teaches you how to teach. The anointing that is upon you will teach you. If you are an intercessor, nobody teaches you how to pray. <laughs> the anointing that is upon you will begin to drive you. Hallelujah. It will begin to drive you. It will begin to drive you. When we left here and I went home yesterday, I began to, I, I, I was hungry for 
to tap one revelation. So I, I, I scattered the whole place, scattered the whole place. It is the anointing that is at, at work in my life that is responsible for that kind of restlessness. And until I find what I'm looking for, there is no rest for me. It's the anointing that makes you like that. Nothing shapes you more than the anointing. Nothing shapes you more. It determines your taste buds, determines your appetites, determines who can be your friend, determines who your enemies are. It determines what you do. It determines what you don't do. It determines who you can marry. The anointing. It will shape your life. It was the anointing that was upon him. That was how the thing gave itself expression. Even though he was not trained to be an evangelist. He received the anointing of an evangelist. And he was able to shake a city. Hallelujah. So that's the progression. First of all, people are admitted into the pool of waiters. The pool of men that serve tables. And as they begin to do menial things, begin to do little, little things. If you notice, um, Saul, King Saul, first of all, he was sent to look for donkeys. And then in, as he was looking for donkeys, um, he didn't know that it was an orchestration. It was an orchestration by God for him to meet the prophet. And when he met the prophet, the prophet said, okay, for your information... Uh, the donkeys you are looking for have been found. That means the reason for which you came here <laughs> is not the reason why you are here now. Huh? So you might be doing seven tables, seven tables, because we served as ushers faithfully. We were ushers those days that we come and pray. We will do night vigil before a service. Just so that as people are entering and as we are greeting them, let the anointing come upon them. Let them become teachable. Let their hardened hearts encounter the word of God. We were ushers. What we were doing that people saw was that we were trying to bring order to the place. But before we came to do that thing, we used to do night vigil. Because the proof of ministry is life transformation. If anything you are doing doesn't lead to the transformation of life, that thing is not ministry. The proof of ministry is life transformation. Life transformation. If no lives are transformed, what you are doing is a social gathering. Yes, no life. And we have so many social centers scattered across the globe where people come and get entertained, where people come and take break, breakfast, people come and receive moral lessons, and no life is changed. Hallelujah. But if, and I hope you know, I hope you know there's only one agency through which transformation can take, take place. Only one agency. It is only the Holy Spirit that can occasion transformation. So if I claim that what I'm doing is ministry, then I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need to pray so that I can do my ushering business so that while I'm doing that thing, something supernatural will be happening to the people. And we have had people that walked into that place and they said they didn't know Nobody invited them. They didn't know what pulled them. It was the prayer. It was the prayer. And most of those people came and got encountered. And meanwhile, one of the most notorious seniors we had in secondary school, very notorious young man, that is, he was naturally wicked. That is, <laughs> he didn't need to be angry for him. He was his disposition. <laughs> one of those days I was by the door there as an usher and the guy walked in and that was how his life was transformed 
and I can tell you the truth, that notorious man eventually he even apologized to me that hey, just in case so, I was wicked to you, just in I don't remember because I was wicked to so many people. So just in case just in case you were among the people I was wicked to, I'm so sorry. I was amazed. But you see, people were being transformed. And he eventually became a pastor in that ministry. But all these things were orchestrated by some impute that took place, which was behind um, the scene. And we didn't know, and how, how would I have known? I never knew I would be a preacher today. We were, so, we were so excited seeing people come to church and get transformed. We were praying about it. And we, we, we continued praying about it. And we were seeing transformations. We were seeing all kinds of stuff. And we were satisfied with that. I didn't know. I was born in Tamara, so I, I, I didn't see pulpit ministry as a possibility. I was so bad with my stammering. So I knew that preaching was not one of the options. But it came to pass. It came to pass. While I was doing my ushering stuff and we're doing the prayer stuff, and then God now put the anointing to teach upon me. Then I went to God. I said, why will you call someone that cannot talk to become your spokesman? So I took that to him in prayer. I wanted to engage him. And then the scripture that came into my spirit was, as for you, this is the covenant I have with you. I have put my words in your mouth and in the mouth of thy seed and in the mouth of thy seed's seed. I said, okay, you put your words in my mouth. If God puts his words in my mouth, it means he has a way to bring the words out. That was my consolation. That was what I felt he meant. And from that day, if I come to teach, I will be able to speak. Then when I stop preaching, then the stammering comes back. If I come to teach, I'll be able to speak. I said, okay, that's good for me. At least, I, I, I never knew that I was not speaking naturally. I was speaking supernaturally. It took a lot of spiritual energy for my stammering to be conquered. And that, that I pray for four hours to preach. Yes, that was my, my practice. I pray for four hours to preach. Because after four hours prayer, I notice the tongue will be loose. And I'll be able to teach. The energy I generate just to talk, I didn't know that it also had a power to affect hearts. I didn't know that. I started growing in the teaching anointing. The, the useless usher man that was by the door, so lanky because of fasting. I didn't never knew I'd become a preacher. But we knew the ways of service. And even till this moment, if there is service on ground, we'll drop this suit, throw it somewhere. We can still do the arrangement. We can still fix the pulpit. We can still fix the stage. And it will not take the anointing away from us. We'll go home and put the suit back. Because we grew in the house of God through the um, pathway of service. If you find someone that became a preacher without going through this pathway, you will see pride in him. He wants to be served. He makes a mockery of ministry. He makes people backslide so terribly that they don't want to consider church again as an option. Because he's coming there to be served. Because he had never served before. He doesn't have the culture of service in his history. Meanwhile, Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you must, in the kingdom, you must become a servant. And so when we do crusades, I will come out, maybe to help out with one of the things, then Evangelist will say, no, 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 we don't, we don't want you here, we don't want you here, please go away. The reason why I'm coming there is the heart, the heart is programmed for service. 
it is not demeaning to, to hold a speaker on my head. After I finish holding it, people will still be healed. Because that was what I used to do before. May the Lord baptize us with, with the spirit of service in the name of Jesus. I was talking to some of my younger brothers that are entering into the anointing and they are taken off with the anointing. I said, don't get used to the honor of ministry. All right? You go to a place, they give you a big room, big hotel. People are coming, greeting you, afraid. They are entering, bringing all kinds of food. Then you say, ah, if... Mm, you don't understand. You don't understand. Don't forget that the reason why you are there is for service. Don't forget. Because at any time you forget, then God will now have to remind you and say, remember when I took you from the sheep coat. There will be a need for you to learn a lesson you learned, you knew before, that you are forgetting because you feel that uh, things have changed. Levels have changed. You, know? you are still a servant. It's just that as you grow in grace, as you grow in the anointing, you become a more specialized kind of servant. And the implication of that is if you make a little mistake, it will affect the body of Christ. Because people believe you. I noticed I went to the tailor. And I said, all right, make a design for me, a unique design. He now looked at his catalog. I said, what design have you not made for people? I want it. You know that stuff I used to wear that I had to... That's how I came up with that. And when I came up with that, and I said, wow, this is fine, because he made just one for me. I went back again, I said, make five. So you now made five different colors. So people now started seeing that, ah, that's my brand. Do you know how many people made that thing? Oh, so I now saw that if I make a mistake, that's how they will copy me. I, I went to, I knelt down before God in tears that, Oh, mm, yes. I, so, so that is what will happen. They didn't come to ask me, how did you make it? When they just saw it, and it started raining, so I now stopped wearing it. Because as you begin to serve and you become credible, when you become accredited, people will copy you. There's nothing you teach that they will not copy you. If you say, um, let's follow Jesus, they will still copy you. When God brings you to that place of honor, where, where he, he, he allows men to see you and follow you as you are following Christ, then you must be very, very careful. Even the way you use your speech, immediately, especially after the anointing, when you have had a mighty meeting, so many healings, and people want to worship you, make sure you choose your words deliberately. Not to give them any notion that you are not more that you are more than, don't give any notion that suggests that you are more than a servant. Hallelujah. The Lord will help us. In the name of Jesus. Number three, the ministry of teaching. Romans chapter 7, quickly. Romans chapter 7, the ministry of teaching. Romans chapter 7, 12 verse 7. Romans 12, 7. Quickly, quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse 7. What does it say there? Our ministry, let him wait on, let us wait on our ministry. So the admonition that is given to people that are 
serve tables is wait on your ministry. Like what you are doing. Don't desire any other thing else. Be preoccupied by it. Let it be that it is a new allocation of grace that will change your job description, not that you desire something else. He said, wait on your ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He that teacheth on teaching. Now, the first thing I need to establish here is that the fact, are you still with me? The fact that you have the grace to teach does not mean you are called into the office of the teacher. The teaching that is spoken about here, there's a difference between teaching and the office of a teacher. So I want to differentiate between the office of a teacher and the grace for teaching. Someone might have a very loud grace for teaching and is not called into the office of the teacher. You know, we are talking about the ministry of the believer. We are not talking about officers, people that have offices. We are talking about people that are empowered by grace. There is a grace to teach. There is a grace to teach. Now, are you with me? Yes. All right. Like me now, me that you are seeing, I am called into the office of the apostle. I have the teaching grace. I have the prophetic grace. I have the evangelical grace operational in my life all right pastoral grace that's how i was trained i was we're trained to be pastors so i don't mention that one that's the giving all right so because of my office i can operate in any of the platforms now but i need to tell you that apostles no two apostles are the same it is your combination of giftings and the measure of the grace that you carry as the case may be that determines what how you how your expression is. Now, the strongest anointing on my life is the teaching anointing. That means in my apostolic combination, I am more in the teaching office than I'm in the other offices. So, if I call myself a teacher, I think I'm still correct. Right? Uh, I, I will show you the difference between this, my own oppression, and the, someone that has the grace to teach. There is, there is a calling there is an official calling to teach and there is there are commensurate responsibilities that is attached to the office of a teacher which is not available in the grace of teaching come with me let us trace this teaching thing before we go to teacher teaching first before teacher Second Timothy chapter two verse two quickly. Second Timothy chapter two verse two. Teaching grace. The teaching grace does not make you a teacher. A teacher has the teaching grace. Are you with me? A teacher has the teaching grace, but the teaching grace doesn't make you a teacher. That's what I'm saying. It's just like a seer is a prophet, but not every prophet is a seer if once you are a seer you are a prophet but not every prophet is a seer yes 
So, one called into the teaching office has the teaching grace, but not everybody that has the teaching grace is a teacher. This is Paul speaking in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit unto faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. They commit them to faithful men. And these faithful men are committing it too. Don't necessarily be, need to be in the teaching office. But the, what qualifies them to receive the oracles of these things you are teaching is that they were faithful. So you commit it to them so that it will be their responsibility to teach others also. In the body of Christ, there's supposed to be an established chain of capacity building grace from generation to generation. So that anything that God releases into the body of Christ in a certain generation will never be lost until the end of time. But what we have today is that so many giftings, so many anointings come into generations and we cannot find a trace of them. Thank God for people like Benny Hinn that was able to trap down the dimensions that he found in the life of Catherine Kuma. That's how it's supposed to be in every generation. But especially in Africa, you will hardly see. I saw that challenge when Idahosa died. Oh, the vacuum was... Is this worse or is... Okay, okay, okay. Maybe let's say Idahosa's son is very, very far. He's our father in the whole country. In Benue State here, I used to know an evangelist, Reverend Dr. Godwin Keno. You need to get his tapes and listen to him. His voice was sweet as if they put honey in his voice. There is no way that man will preach to you that you will not give your life to Christ. He, he, I don't know what God gave him. He, he knows how. Oh God, oh God, oh God. He was... He was a model preacher. Meanwhile, Godwin Kenun could teach. He had a teaching grace on him. And that was why it was convenient for him to pastor and train and build capacity. He had a teaching grace on him, but he was an evangelist. Meanwhile, I need to tell you something. What a teacher, the one called into the office, what he can do that you cannot do with teaching grace. I need to show you the difference. Are you with me? All right. Say the things that you are heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall who shall teach what others also. So the span, this training span is for four generations. Things you have heard of me, that generation of Paul, you have heard it of me. Committed to faithful men, third generation, that we teach others also, fourth generation. So the impact of what I did at least should travel for four generations. At least. And if the chain is not broken, it travels forever. Because when I'm done and I leave the scene, Ogbe will come and take my place. And it's the same things I taught him, plus the one he has discovered. that he will not, it, is, it is, therefore, you will now see that generations, subsequent generations should be operating at the higher levels of excellence. Because what I gave you, plus what you have, the momentum should be stronger. But in our own case, it dies. You know why? Because the teaching grace is absent. The teaching grace is the grace through which we can pass legacies from generation to generation. You can see a very powerful man, but there's nobody that has factored the dimension of grace that is upon his life. 
Great men have passed. Great men, great men have passed and gone. And we cannot see a trace of their sojourning upon the face of the earth because they did not tap into the technology of the teaching anointing. And that's why when I see someone that is a preacher and you are very powerful and people like you, I normally call you aside. I say, Oga. And I will not say it for long. I will just say, Oga, this thing you are doing, you are very powerful and you like it. You will not raise one person. You say, ah, why are you exalting this your teaching thing too much? I say, I know how legacies are established in the body of Christ. I met a preacher, a very powerful preacher. When he begins to preach, everybody is standing up. Ah, hallelujah. Amen. Glory. Mm. Then I called him. I said, this thing you are doing, you enjoy it, Abi. When you are old, you will know you are wrong. Come with me. Let's go and study the Bible. When, when we finish studying, begin to teach, stop shouting. When you went to the university, where, the, where your lecturer shouting on you, he said, that's how the grace in me is working. I said, that's what you think. You can be a preacher, but if you meet me, you will teach. So that's what I'm telling you. I, I have teach, contagious teaching ability. Thank God he heard me. He's more older than I am. And he, he, he's hearing me now. He now started teaching. When he now got into that teaching grace, because he has an apostolic calling, but the teaching angle was closed because he was enjoying preaching. So I told him, you will not raise anybody. When you are old, you will know you are wrong. He now began to teach. And then the teaching grace now opened. The cock of teaching was removed. Now he can't preach again. But his life has raised many people. The way we transfer legacies in the body of Christ is through teaching. That's why I say, you can be a prophet too. Do your prophetic thing. You must teach. The reason why I know you must teach is because God sent you to me. If he didn't want you to teach, you will not be here. Someone, I've seen someone in your skin say, What is that? Okay, when you finish doing that, what, what have you done? What's the meaning of that? That's not how we transfer legacy. As you are shouting, people can be saying, Hey, man. Hallelujah. Hey. Nothing is happening. The things that you have heard of me. Now, listen to me. I'm not downplaying the preaching anointing. We preach in the majors too. When you teach small, the, the fire will enter you, we preach. Don't preach two hours. That's my own problem. Don't preach. If you are preaching two hours, you are only using one hand. I hope you know, because when we go further, you will find out that part of the evidences of Christian maturity is that you have the ability to teach, irrespective of office. I will show you the requirements for bishops. He must be apt to teach, and that's not whether or not he's a teacher. He must be apt, ready to teach. That's how our legacies are passed from generation to generation. So I need to show us the difference between the teaching anointing and the office 
of a teacher. Every, every one of us has a little deposit of teaching. If you have been faithful in the kingdom of God, there is a little deposit of teaching that you have that you can exploit. I've been around. I've been around. And then you see people that have been in church for long, then you test them with a few Bible questions. They don't know anything. The reason is because they were not taught. So we need teachers badly. All right. You can do a chat. The teaching office and the teaching grace. Or if you want us to do teaching office first and then do teaching grace subsequently, anyone that works for you. The first thing that a teaching anointing does is that it brings clarity in the areas of doctrinal controversy. That's the office. The office. It brings clarity in the areas of doctrinal controversy. Give me Ezekiel chapter 44 from verse 23 to 24. This is the scripture God gave me when he coronated me a corrective teaching agent in the body of Christ. It's not every teacher that's a corrective teacher. I am a corrective teacher. And my mandate for corrective teaching is what I am showing you here. Ezekiel chapter 44. One called into the office of a teacher has the capacity to bring clarity in areas of biblical controversy. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. There is, you know, are you with me? You know, these days we have a situation in the body of Christ where walking in holiness looks like an obsolete kind of subscription. The seeming accurate image of an effective Christian in our own generation is somebody that has a good car and has a lot of cash to spend because the emphasis that we have held in the body of Christ in the past 35 years is in the area of prosperity, success, and motivation. So that means that the idea of who a Christian is, in the light of our emphasis, is a guy that has cash to throw around. <laughs> Those kind of emphasis that is not consistent with um, kingdom advance, kingdom advance in your heart, and kingdom advance that your life can bring. Those kind of emphasis are what we call distractions. They are doctrinal uh, diseases. It is only a teacher that has the grace to identify a doctrinal disease. Oh, you don't believe that there's a doctrinal disease? Let me show you. But first, let me show you this first one first. Then I will show you what a doctrinal disease is. And most people are victims of doctrinal diseases. Washoko is the description of people's spiritual condition because a true teacher, teacher called into the office, they did not encounter one. 
How many of you have touched Miles Morrow's spoken ministry? You have. You will know that the man knows what he's saying. Hmm? He can start on any subject. The man does what? He knows what he's saying. He has the anointing to impart knowledge. Michael Robo, you are a great preacher. Teach. Teach. Sit down. That fire you used to preach, eh? you don't need so much of it to start teaching. You need inspiration and wisdom. The fire will come later. I assure you, it will not diminish your capacity. Be, you need to develop some patience with the scripture. The scripture is like, it's like a like snail. You need to be patient with it before it comes out. Mm. Don't, don't go too quickly. Be, <laughs> touch it. It will come out. Be patient. If not, you will be such a powerful man and when your time is up, you wonder you went around the world seven times. By the time you are 87. So I went around the whole world seven times. My bones are aching from missions. And then when you look at the world you labeled in, you try to find yourself. Ah. That was what made me take teaching seriously. I used to take off like a tornado too. <laughs> When you begin to think of legacy, your, your, your strategy will change. Meanwhile, the, the fire is not less than what it used to be. We are just more effective and will bring more profit to the kingdom of God. Where is my scripture? Ezekiel chapter 44, 23. He said, and they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean next verse and in controversy they shall stand in judgment and they shall judge according to my judgment they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my assemblies and they shall hallow my sabbath he said in controversy they shall stand and judge there is Oh, there is a grace that God gives a teacher to be able to judge truth by spiritual discernment. So these are the inner workings of the teaching office. You can judge that thing that the Bible calls rightly dividing the word of truth is the ability to discern the balance of truth. They don't teach you that. It's the teaching anointing that teaches you. That's the inner working of the office. You have authority. To be able to bring clarity so that you can differentiate between the profane and the holy. The person that has the teaching anointing can't do this. This is an office. This is a function. It's an officer that can do that. Have you ever seen those days there is a product we have which is called what the Bible say? You see, remember that product? Anytime a false doctrine begins to come into the body of Christ... I can't sleep. God doesn't trouble everybody when there's false doctrine in the body of Christ. He troubles me. Are you feeling? Somebody came the other day and said they died, they went to hell, and these were the messages they got from hell. And then they printed pamphlets and printed CDs and began to distribute. And because the church was untaught, why an infantile church. So when every wave of doctrine comes, 
There is no truth to test it. So people's wives began to shave their hair. That those were the messages that came from the underworld. I say, okay. If God wanted us to receive messages from the underworld, the first apostle of that order would have been Lazarus. He was there for four days. <laughs> Lazarus would have come up with a pamphlet. <laughs> oh, he would have arisen with a pamphlet. I know that's not strong enough. Have you, have you, should I do that? Do you remember in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4? That Paul said that I know a man either in this flesh or in the spirit. I cannot tell. This man was taken to paradise. And this man was taken to the third heavens. Now let me tell you about the universe. Paradise is beneath. Hell is beneath. The earth is in the middle and heaven is above so that guy that saw paradise are you are you, are you following you are not following should i come again when a man dies he goes down you want me to show you from the bible you know okay you want me to show you all right all right romans chapter 10 romans chapter 10 Romans. Are you there in Romans 10? Okay, verse 7. Oh. Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in your heart, who shall, I, shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. So when you die, you go into the deep. That place called the deep, in Hebrew, is called Sheol. In Greek, it's called Hades. It's a waiting hall. It's a place for departed spirits. How many of you have ever boarded a plane? There is a waiting hall. When you finish all the screening, you finish everything, the identification, you pass through security screening, you come and sit in a waiting hall waiting for the plane. So when we are done with the stage of this line, you are going to go into a waiting hall. And the waiting hall has two apartments. According to the book of Luke chapter 16, there is an apartment called Jehina. Jehina, Jehina. It is a place of torment. That's what we call hell. There is another apartment called paradise. And these two apartments put together it is Hades. Hades has two apartments. Jehina and paradise. Is that clear? Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross, he was speaking to that criminal and he told the guy, today you will be with me. Where? They were going down. Are you there? Good. This down that they went in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 4. Everybody that went down, when God took Paul down, 
It was down he went. It was paradise he went to that the Bible says he had things that were unlawful for men to utter. So the things you will see in Hades, it is not lawful for you to come to this earth and utter them. According to the scriptures. Because if God wanted it, he had someone that was there for four days. Even Lazarus. He would have become an end time preacher. Maybe he would have had a, something, a handbill. I saw it all. When Paul went there, he saw things that were not lawful for him to alter. And just in case that is not convincing enough, it was Abraham that told the rich man that they have Moses and the prophets. That if they don't believe Moses and the prophets who are preaching to them today, even if someone rises from the dead, they will not believe him. So I did a teaching to respond to that thing that was going on, that it didn't come from God. I know they heard something, but it wasn't God. And I didn't call their name because I don't even know them. When their tapes stopped selling, their magazines stopped selling, their pamphlets stopped selling, and they now called me to now curse me, that you are cursed. Among all men! And the more they cursed me, the more I exploded. That means the curse didn't work. I was in... I was in the jurisdiction of my office. When you are in your office and somebody comes to persecute you, you are promoted. Hallelujah. All right, so you understand what I'm talking about. So the teacher has the grace to be able to clarify areas of controversy. He has the anointing for precision. He has the capacity to rightly divide the word of truth. Two, the teacher has the skill to establish doctrine. He is the teacher that establishes doctrine and puts, sets in motion our belief system. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Hallelujah. I know the anointing of a teacher, so I can talk about it. I know the anointing. More than any other, any other anointing, I know the anointing of it. He said, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of the things from the very first, to write to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. He was saying that it, it was a raining thing for people to talk about Jesus, to people, because it was raining. Everybody was talking about, people are claiming that he's, re, he's resurrected. So it was big news. It was on this day. It was on punch was on guardian was and everybody had their own story to tell every from different perspectives that was suitable to their own um, um world view but this guy was speaking because he was chattered he said we received the lively oracles of the truth from them that were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world are you following he's saying i'm i'm chattered we received these truths from people that were eyewitnesses what i'm telling you is I'm telling you things that has authority. I saw the people that saw him rise from the dead. I, I me, mean, I saw them. 
So I don't know the other sources. Many people have taken it in hand to talk about these things, but I am credible because I am a prodigy. I'm a product of those ones that were eyewitnesses. That's number one. Then number two, I have perfect understanding from the very first. So those are the two engineering's inner workings. You don't just wake up to become a teacher. You must grow in a place where they teach. You receive the teaching grace is like a baton. You will have to receive it from somebody. And that's why I'm saying if God brought you my way, then you have to be diligent because God wants you to be able to teach. I may not be able to drag you into the office, but I can, I can ensure that you, be, you start operating in the grace. Only God allocates and decides who will operate as an officer. But I can tell you that I have, I have received something from Jehovah enough to say that if, if you are with me, you, at least you will teach. Because I will commit to you to teach faithful men. Exactly. So this guy was credible. He had the capacity to set our belief system in order. The teaching anointing supplies the capacity, the excellent capacity of being able to set forth doctrine in a proper sequence so that our belief system will be adequately established among the people of God. Number four. It is through the teaching office that doctrinal diseases can be cured from the body. Doctrinal diseases. Doctrinal diseases. I'm coming. Doctrinal diseases. Second mm, Timothy chapter two verse seventeen. Second Timothy two seventeen. Let me show you some doctrinal diseases. All right. Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen. Let's start from fifteen. He says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God." So, if you want to develop the teaching grace, you must be a man of study. And surprisingly. Even when you study, normally you become approved before people. But this kind of study he's talking about is a, a study that makes you approved <laughs> unto God. I don't have time for that. You know, when if you, if you your message is well researched, the people will say, "Oh man, this guy is tough. This guy is." But the the, <laughs> the issue here is not to be approved before your congregation, but approved unto God. That's for another day. Okay, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. And that's the skill of teaching, which is rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes your, it, it, um, it, 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 uh, it takes the inner discernment of the working of the anointing for you to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. You will know it inside how it should be. Do you understand? You will know it by discernment inside how it should be. And if you are sitting on that wrong teaching too, you will know it inside that this thing is not. Uh, so is that skill there is something an instrument that is at work inside of your heart through the holy ghost that makes you know how to strike the balance 
and there's nothing as sweet as balanced preaching when you it's just like having a balanced diet you know that you are enjoying <laughs> when you wake up after you stand up after good teaching is so wonderful you will know yourself that you are enjoying all right go with me next verse quickly let me run away my time oh my time is up hallelujah he said but shun profane and vain babblings for they shall increase unto more godliness it means that a man can claim to be teaching and then the fruit of what he's teaching in the lives of the people is ungodliness in a certain congregation that one of us went to preach a young lady came and threatened the man's wife and told him told her i will deal with you because he had an affair with the man's wife the man's husband and she was even bold to go and threaten the wife that was the kind of church that they were running and when that preacher who is one of us went to that assembly the pastor now said he has preached all he knows how to preach but there is immorality here like it is vain and, pro and vain wives fables that he was preaching when that preacher had the first session the first teaching that lady came and apologized to the man's wife that she's very sorry for that threat transformation has started your message can't change anybody it's the holy ghost your message gave the holy ghost an opportunity for him to begin to do his specialty and the lady went back to and the pastor asked that preacher how did you what have you done that these people may we never come to a point where we are totally incapacitated and we accept a beggarly ministry just because we are unable to deliver accurate transformational ministry verse 17 as I run away he said, he said, their word dot eat as, as what? Their word will eat as dot a canker. That's where I got that doctrinal disease from. It is only the office of the teacher that can heal the body of Christ of the impact of a doctrinal disease. The teacher, he has that grace. Their words dot eat as a canker. He mentioned their name. Please give me their hand. Because some people say, hey, why did I mention this preacher's name? Ah, see Paul. I learned it from Paul. He said, Hymenos and Philetus. He mentioned the people's name that they preached a wrong resurrection. Hmm? And made shipwreck of the faith of men. He mentioned them. Do you know that I have authority as a teacher? If I'm accurate in the spirit and it's not out of jealousy. I can actually mention a preacher's name that this one, in my capacity as a teacher, I can, this one has wandered out of alignment. 
I should be able to make such recommendations. It was here I said, oh, listen to me. I, I preached. I said, listen to me. That man you call T.B. Joshua is not even born again before we talk of his being a, a prophet. You know why I'm mentioning it? It's part of my job. So when I now mentioned that, a person has sent me a text that you cannot kill that man. I knew that this one too has joined Balaam. It, it took many years. When I said that thing, people thought he was, still, he, he was a man of God. Meanwhile, I said, the God that I serve, he holds me responsible for truth. Do you understand? Oh, you don't understand. What works in me, the name is called the spirit of truth. I, I, I can't rest if there's error. I can't rest. It's the spirit of truth. So when I mentioned it, the pastor started saying, who are you? How many people are you pastoring? Because, you see, these days, your credibility as a pastor is the people that you are gathering. Whether what you are using to gather the people came from a graveyard is not the matter. <laughs> but if people are gathering, it's a sign that something is happening. On the Isle of Patmos, John had no congregation. But the message that he released was for the universal church. What kind of... What kind of prophet was that? No congregation. Who, who come and, how many churches did Bonke plant? Of all the souls that, every crusade that Bonke does can start a mega city church. Where is the building that Paetin built to, to gather a, a, a congregation? So they now said, what kind of what congregation do you have for you to make such a statement? They didn't know that it was part of the duties of my office to protect the body of Christ from being deceived. And I say this in the capacity of a teacher, is what I'm saying. I will tell you, when I begin to teach on the offices, and I teach you on the office of the apostle, I will tell you things in the capacity of an apostle. Today I speak as a teacher. And it is part of my, my duty to the body of Christ to point out error. And when I point it out and the, the whole world rises against me, that's when you will know I'm called. The one that sent me, that's when you will know his power of my life. It's not as if we go around pointing people and calling names. There are some that God will insist that you must call. So after the pastor sent me that message, obviously it was, because he can't send the message if he has not been patronizing him. Until his spirit became dry. <laughs> it, is, it is not a problem if a believer's spirit is dry, but if a pastor's spirit is dry, he should stop pastoring. But we see, we, pastors in Africa are not humble enough to, to they are, no, they are not sincere enough. You should stop. Because that thing you are doing is no longer pastoring. You are exposing the people that believe in you. Because the anointing is what, is what feeds us. That's our lifeline. And it's dry. The people are exposed. 
Then one day, after about how many years? Six years, the pastor now came here. We were praying. It was not a service, so we were just praying. One of those days that um, chief called us for prayer. So we were just praying. So he came like a big man. He held his Bible. He said, <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> ah! I was praying. He, he came to me and said, I'm just here to see you now. I said, sorry, we're busy. You can see we're, we're so busy. And I said that they are liberty to test his pride. Then he just... That's a man that is dry, looking for ventilation. Not humble enough. Not humble enough. It's weird that the journey is prolonged. The first thing I learned from God before I could carry the teaching mantle was... Revelation and pride cannot work together because knowledge will puff up. Yes, I went to the school of humidity to learn and I saw that man knew he was heading for nowhere. Then when I preached in Europe and came back, I saw his test message. Hey, man of God, where? Oh, I knew. They were looking for occasion. Me, I was looking for an opportunity to serve Jesus. We will not end in the same place. My time is up. There's so much to say about her. Then tomorrow I will show you what the teaching grace does. My charge to you tonight is in all thy getting, be a teacher. That's my charge. In all thy getting, make sure can expound the truth of God. So a teacher is called as an instructor and a capacity builder to the body of Christ universal. Now if you hear the voice of a teacher and you take it to China it will bless people. It will take it to Morocco. It will bless people. Do you understand? It is a universal voice. It's not localized. It's universal. It's a high office. And without it, a curse will come upon the church. I'd like us to pray. The, the, the prayer I'm hoping we'll pray today, I pray you pray it well. The prayer is that eh, the Lord should open this scripture, this Bible to us. Open it. It was David that said, open my eyes that I may behold wonders out of your law. Meanwhile, in the teaching anointing, I've grown from stage to stage before I came to the level where I can, I can do corrective teaching ministry. I, I didn't start this way. I grew in the ranks and I have, ref, I have referees that can testify of my growth in the office as a teacher. I have referees. I have great referees that can say, yes, we know this one. So I'm not just speaking. No, no, no. Heaven and earth will bear witness. We want to pray that God will give us, make us behold wondrous things out of his law. Out of his law. Out of his law.
Maybe you are here today and you are called into that teaching office. How that God will so bless you with wisdom and through your ministry, you will be able to heal the body of Christ of doctrinal diseases. Doctrinal diseases. Believers begin to behave funny when there is false doctrine. They behave funny. I don't want to say some things. <laughs> when there's false doctrines, we behave funny. It will take someone that is licensed to, to, in controversy, he shall stand and judge according to his judgments. Let us pray and ask that God will cause us to see wondrous things out of his law wondrous things wondrous wondrous things that god god will cause it god Abresco vela, eco salabata, eco bregama, antalababuria, iso brosco, vocomoto monocoria tababalaita compella. So is Hyemenus and Philitus. The teaching office is an instrument by which God purges. A people can be living in error for 36 years, and it comes with three scriptures, and there's purging. The foundation of a certain ministry is purged. If the leaders are humble, they will be delivered. Error can last for generation to generation. But the carrier of a spirit of truth will show up on the scene and there is purging. Purging. The eyes of men. Part of what God has sent us to do in the body of Christ is a very comprehensive and hybridized protocol of purging so that the stranglehold of falsehood and uh, doctrinal diseases that have bedeviled the church and given the devil a platform to operate from to beguile us and bind us will be taken away for in thy light we shall see light like mama Open up. Let me Open up. Channels of my spirit. Open up. I am with the Father. Open up. No boundaries, no limits. Open up, let it go until it open up. Let 